Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazzanobel. And this is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk to Bob today. Yay! We have our interview with R.A. Salvatore. Very exciting. It's uh, always fun to talk to Bob. Author of The Legend of Drist and all of the amazing stories. Like 60 books. Uh, I think 30? No, I'm total. Oh. His, that, that he's, he's written. Yeah, he is, he's written a lot of books. Yes. Many of them uh, about the uh, the dark elf the Drist Dorden. Yep. Um, and he has a new book, Timeless, out in stores now. Beautiful uh, book. Beautiful book. Talk Talks about uh, Drist, of course, but Zach Nefane as well as Jarl Axel. Yeah, one he's popping of, up in a lot of things. He's popping up. He's popping up all over. He's popping his collar. <laughs> popping his big purple hat. <laughs> he is looking good <laughs> with a feather in his cap. You're kind of wearing Jarl Axel colors. Oh, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, I got I got Jarl Axel on the brain. Yeah. Uh, Chris Perkins was just in costume as Jarl Axel at Acquisitions Incorporated. Good. Also looking good. Um, so yeah. Check out this book if you're interested. Garl Axel uh, also appears in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, which is in game stores right now and out everywhere September 18th. It is a fantabulous adventure book all about urban adventures in the city of Waterdeep. Very cool. I started a, uh, a campaign. I think I'm on session two. Oh, really? Yeah. In, uh, in West Seattle. You want to Oh, come? I think I saw your picture. You yeah. had like that really nice setup. I think Bart might have been a little jealous. Oh, jealous. Yeah. Well, I well, I want to uh, ask more women to play because I want my girls to see that it's not just oh. a dad uh, thing. But I've been trying to get my wife, and she's like, "I'll I'm play tired. with Aaron." You want to play with Aaron? Totally. All right, I need you to help convince her. Oh, that would be super fun. Yeah, we got to make it happen. Yes. Okay, let's do it. All okay. right. We, we're making plans here, and it's very hard to get adults together to play on a we, weekly basis. But we, but can, we can just make bring it. the the children along. Won't they just entertain themselves? Isn't that what kids do? Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't they just sit quietly? That's true. They just sit <laughs> looking at... Uh, Mommy, are you uh, done yet? At, the, at no. their books. We'll give them the Quiet Dark Elf books. trilogy uh, by Bob Salvatore, and he'll just go and in the corner and... do some cool art. And cool art. Yeah, all the all the above. Teach Quinn how to play video games. And then soon they can play. Open that can of worms. Why not? He can just watch his YouTube videos. <laughs> There's many, many YouTube videos that need to be watched. Yes. Uh, but that's cool. I hope a lot of other people are uh, picking up Waterdeep Dragon Heist and starting off new campaigns just like me and Shelly are. It is a ton of fun. It's immediately uh, evocative. People who haven't played the game in years are coming back to it and being really? like, oh, I really understand uh, what's going on here. And There's they so jump much in. cool stuff in there. Yeah. Like how to like run a business. <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite part. <laughs> I love that. I really can't cool. wait till that uh, happens with my group because that's uh, amazing. Really? Yeah. You're going to let them do it? Of course. It's something the players do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm going to make them do it. <laughs> they well, are going to have their own business? Not their own. They're all the, they're going to own something As together? a group, they're going to, okay. uh, I want, oh, I mean, it depends on what they want to do. We'll see. But there's tons of downtime stuff uh, that happens like that. And then I want to incorporate some of the stuff that Mike Merle's put into uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything that has you, like you can do carousing or searching for magic items. Carousing? Or, or brewing. One of, them, one of my characters, Ooh, uh, uh, players in my campaign more. is a brewmeister. Yeah, he's got brewing tools. He's going to make some beers. Oh, my God. But he's perfect for it. It's going to be great. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, have you, maybe it hasn't, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> You have well, another game that you're going to be playing in live. Uh, which, oh, for Extra Life. 
Is, is that what you're talking about? Is it Extra Life? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're talking about that other one, too. Yes, yeah. of is course. That, has that been? Yeah. Well, let me get to Extra Life first because it is yeah, yeah, yeah. in full force. I want to talk about that, too. Everybody is uh, making their pages now for the D&D team. Please, if you're interested in raising money for kids for Seattle Children's mm-hmm. Hospital, this is the time to do it. And Join you get to play amazing, uh, fun D&D to do it. We're going to be doing, uh, starting off on November 3rd, which is the Extra Life Play Day. We're going to play a couple of games here in the office. We're encouraging all of our streaming groups to do it that week. And then finishing it up with live streamed games from Game Holcon in Wisconsin, all raising money for kids. Yes. And uh, if you have any inclination, join our team uh, uh, and uh, donate and get the ball rolling because this, I just, I'm so excited at the amount of money that we have raised just by Do you uh, know what? Uh, what we're at playing now. games. I don't know what we're at right now. We're like, I, we're good. We're good. Yeah. But, but we need a bit more. Do you know that I'm um, I'm participating? I did not know that. That's great. I am, on a, I am playing live. Sweet. For the children. For the children. And I have, I started my page and I have some really generous people that donated that That's I want awesome. to give a shout out to. That's awesome. Can, Can I, I do, do it that? right now? Do it right now. Can okay. you do it? Yeah. Um, Chris Johnson. Thank you. You're awesome. Lindsay Newsom donated. Don Anderson, Jen Roth, who is my neighbor and my friend. What's up, neighbor? Uh, but also, Bart put his page up first and then posted about it, and she donated to his campaign. And I was like, but she's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know I participated. And then she felt compelled to donate to mine, too. See, that's, that's the power of D&D. And also Judy Mazanoble. Oh, Judy, Judy, Judy. Yep. She was like... I was going to donate to Bart, but forget it. I'll go to you instead. So I am ahead of Bart and my donations, and I'd like to keep it that way. That's all that matters. So Competition is a thing. It is. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, thank you, people. It's been very – our community is incredibly generous. It's so true. I really appreciate it. They really are. Um, and I can't wait. And I want to shout out uh, one other uh, thing, which which you reminded me of. Uh, clerical error. Error. Yeah, yeah. That's what it, I love the name of that. Starting Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Pacific time. We haven't actually played a session yet, uh, but it is a uh, fun little take on a guild in Waterdeep is called that a, oh. the Dung Sweepers Guild. Okay, someone's got to do it. We're going to clean up that town. Good. And, Keep uh, Waterdeep beautiful. I'm playing and as a uh, cleric of uh, formerly of Lathander. Uh, who no longer can see. I heard that. Uh, but he, oh no, I forgot to ask Bob about this. He is now a, um, a, a devotee of Myliki, the elvish god of nature, and he wants to plant trees throughout the city of Waterdeep with his oh. with his group. Well, he's got well, lots of fertilizer to do that. That's right. That's so. what the whole dung sweeping thing's all about. Good job. It's going to be fun. Uh, again, it's on twitch.tv slash dnd uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Lauren Urban is the dungeon master. Awesome. Uh, along with a, a wonderful cast. I won't list them all here, but they're amazing. Uh, and uh, I can't wait. And you pulled them from different parts of, of the building. Of the building. That's which right. Which I think is very exciting. Yeah. I'm excited about it, too. Yeah. Um, anything else fun. we want to make sure we mention? Oh, we met, we oh, we talked about Dungeon Mayhem. Uh, it is an awesome yes! card game that Finally. is coming uh, November sixteenth mm-hmm. in game stores or uh, all stores everywhere on yep. November sixteenth. Yep. Super fun game. You can learn it very fast. Great and for it, the holidays. It, it, it's the uh, game's over in like what ten minutes, fifteen minutes, yeah. and then well, you just want to start you're again. Playing it's like five minutes. But. <laughs> If you're not good at strategy, no, uh, because you were aggressive. Well, sometimes that can be a good and strategy. You gained you never up on me. It's true, <laughs> uh, but it's tons of fun and so uh, evocative of Dungeons and Dragons, but not like you don't even know Dungeons and Dragons to do it. So it's a great, right. it's a great. But if you do, you'll gateway. appreciate some of it for sure. Yeah, and the artwork is amazing. The artwork is adorable. It's yeah. Kyle Farron was the artist. He did so good. I oh, know. I love it. So shout Perfect out to set. Kyle. 
Thanks, Carl. Um, we've got tons of other products coming down, but you should go look at our uh, Twitter feed as well as on Facebook as well as on our website, dnd.wizards.com or on Dragon Plus, which you can download onto your apps. You get all the information about all that stuff. Um, but I want to make sure we kick it to our uh, segment before we get to our interview with Bobby. Sound like that makes sense? Yes. All right. Let's listen to some bings and bongs. Let's do it. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wonder if that was a vampire thing. You couldn't answer a direct question unless... uh, uh, This is the segment where we talk all about uh, D&D lore, and maybe you can use it in your game or not, but we just like to tell you all the fun things. And this one, Mr. Chris Perkins is going to tell us about... Vampires in Waterdeep. Exactly. Yes. There are, I didn't, so how many vampires in Waterdeep? Six. No, uh, seven. That, <laughs> uh, that's a very good starting question. So um, if we're ta- so in, in fifth edition, there are vampires, real vampires, and then there are creatures we call vampire spawn, mm-hmm. which are kind of like half vampires. They're, they're, the, they're the toadies that the vampire makes out of humans and other humanoids. Uh, but they're not full-fledged vampires, and they don't have all the vampires' powers. So if you're talking just the big vampires, there's one. Just one? Or there should be. Okay. And the reason I say that is because the the one vampire who is kind of known or secretly known to live in Waterdeep does not abide the presence of other vampires. Oh. And so... Uh, and he is one of Waterdeep's most closely guarded secrets. Uh, That is to say that the lords of Waterdeep know that he exists, but they, it does not serve the greater population to know that a vampire is allowed to live in the city effectively. Yeah. Because they would prey upon the common citizenry and right. So this particular vampire is very old um, and his name is Arter Morlin. Arter Morlin. Yes. He is also known as the Baron of Blood. And he was a, uh, basically a powerful mercenary warrior. And he founded, the reason he's called the Baron, Baron of Blood is because he founded a barony. Mm. The barony of the, st- of the, um, of the Steeping Falls, uh, which he founded in the year 133 DR. Whoa. Which, given that the present year is like 1492 DR, was yeah. a heck of a long time ago. That is a heck of a long time ago. 13 yes. centuries. Yes. 133 DR, the year of the arduous journey, he founded the barony of uh, Steeping Falls in what is presently the town of Daggerford, huh. which is just south of Waterdeep, a little ways down the the main road. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a castle there and a stronghold, a fortress and all that kind of thing. And uh, he left the barony um, and moved effectively to present day Waterdeep and has been there more or less ever since. And he lives in, well, lives, lived. 
he <laughs> lives in a dungeon under Waterdeep uh, known as the Fireplace Level. The Fireplace Level? Yeah, it's a strange name for a dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, there's another dungeon under Waterdeep, sort of half under the City of the Dead, which is the Parkland Cemetery of Waterdeep, and half under the North Ward, and it's called the Dungeon of the Crypt. Big, sprawling complex. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Arthur Moreland claims that as well as part of his domain, but adventurers are prone to finding their ways down there. Right. And so he kind of relocated or moved his coffin and most of his business <laughs> below that dungeon to what is called the fireplace level because the way you get to it is through an old underground fireplace in the dungeon of the crypt. Oh, okay. So as you explore the dungeon known as the dungeon of the crypt, you find this fireplace. Hey, it's got a little cavity that plunges down to a whole other level. And therein, of course, um, the vampire awaiteth. Now, Interesting. So now, see, he doesn't abide other vampires. So have others tried to move in over the yes. years and he eradicates them? Yes. Um, so he has, he can marshal a force of unknown numbers of vampire spawn uh, to basically destroy his enemies. Mm. But there is sort of a, an unwritten agreement between him and the government of Waterdeep that he will not be, a, he will not present himself as a threat to the city proper. Mm. So he's, he's happy to take on other threats to the water, to Waterdeep, as well as take out or feed on individuals who might otherwise cause the city grief. Oh, so what is this vampire's alignment? Evil. He is evil, but he seems to be doing... But he's, he's evil motivated. He's, he, he knows he's sharing, essentially, his land with a city full of wizards and clerics and paladins and other forces. So he does what any smart, intelligent villain would do and that is he forges alliances he pushes where he can um but also exhibits restraint mm. so he's probably in the lawful evil as opposed to the chaotic or neutral evil. Right. he might be neutral evil but he he recognizes that he has to coexist on some level with the people above and frankly um he gets a fair amount of protection in insofar as the, the lords do not send adventurers down to kill him yeah and uh, he's you know, he's been able to survive this long under that arrangement. Um, and he's actually been in Waterdeep since um, about, well, since the Second Troll War. So the Second Troll War happened over a period of 12 years between 940 DR and 952 DR. And it wasn't a constant war. It was basically every so often mobs of trolls would hurl themselves up at the walls and the city would have to fight them off. And this went on for 12 years until finally all the trolls stopped regenerating and got died um and so it was during that time when arthur decided to sort of move in so let's see um that would be nine like 600 700 years ago wow he's been in the city yeah and i so if i am uh Laryl silverhand mm -hmm. it makes sense in some ways mm -hmm. to have a vampire you know uh right. watching yes. your back right it like is very much a devil you know situation it's, yeah and and he is what what she would probably consider to be a contained threat. He's not going out and, right. and uh, you know, we, they're not getting reports of, of vampire attacks across the city. That's right. Yeah. Merchants aren't, you know, getting, getting turned and uh, vampires aren't crawling up out of the sewers and just attacking people willy nilly. That's not to say people don't disappear. 
And I'm sure in a few instances, troublesome adventurers have deliberately been sent down into the dungeon of the crypt so that Martyr can get rid of them. Oh, uh, it's, a nice, <laughs> it's a way of ridding the city of... Of pesky adventurers. Oh. Um, so there is that. That's a smart move as well. Yeah. Because he's he has because he's been living so long, he is mm-hmm. a uber powerful vampire. He's he's pretty darn powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he he's sort of a he sort of has in 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 the lore of the game. He has always he's typically been sort of part fighter, part blackguard. Mm-hmm. So he sometimes has some spell casting ability to back up on. So he's not your stock and trade vampire. Got it. And uh, I mean, in D anD D terms, we don't necessarily equate length of vampire life with power level right no no yeah, yeah. so he, no. he'd just been able to survive for so long because yeah. of yeah his nature that's right um and uh um what else do we know about him what what, what are his goals at this point what is he trying to it, it just live does he have any overarching you know uh things that he's trying to do uh so i'm glad you asked there are a number of goals, um, some of which will come up in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, no, it's no mere happenstance that I'm talking about this guy now. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't want to go too far into d- specific details, but suffice to say, yes, he does have plans. Uh, yes, those plans will probably come to light very soon. Uh, one of the first places you'll get a hint, maybe just a hint of what he's up to, is in um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Okay. Uh, so... Um, and that's because uh, in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you learn there's a vampire also in Undermountain. Archer doesn't like that. So um, there may be something going on there. That makes sense. So, right. yeah. Because well, Undermountain is also below yes. the city of Waterdeep. So he is continuing to pursue his goals of eradicating any other vampires in that haunt the city or the dungeons underneath it. But he's got, he's got sort of primary goals, which will be revealed soon ish. Sweet. Um, I don't. He, does he make an appearance in Dragon Heist? He does not. Um, n- not for lack of trying. In fact, um, little behind the scenes, behind the curtain business here. Uh, when we first brainstormed Dragon Heist as a story, we wanted to get Arthur in, and we actually did concept art of him, a number of iterations uh, and refinements to that art, with the belief that we'd be able to shoehorn him in. But after a while. Um, for various reasons, we just pushed him out and decided to save him. Got it. Makes sense. But yeah. listening to this now, it's totally possible yeah. for uh, Dungeon Masters to weave in uh, Archer's presence in Waterdeep yeah. uh, if you like vampires. It's, Absolutely, it's, yes. So he's, he's there, um, and he could surface at any time with grand plans. And it could be some of the ways that you could use him include, you know, maybe something has been stolen from his dungeon by some adventurers and he wants it back. Mm. And so he sends his agents throughout the city to track these adventurers down and possibly kill them to get it back, yeah. which sets up the, the, the mystery of who killed the adventurers and why. Um, another possibility is that uh, there is a new masked lord who's, you know, very strongly associated with one of the good temples in the city and wants to sort of throw his weight around mm. by basically presenting Arthur Moreland's head. Uh, so finally got rid of finally got rid of this menace, yeah. not realizing of that there's sort of a delicate equilibrium, a power in the city that sort of keeps him at bay, and so this this mass lord's efforts to get rid of the vampire incites a conflict. Maybe the mass lord sends the adventurers off to find and kill 
Arthur Morlin. Yeah. And it's only later that the adventurers realize that the damage that that could do. Right. Or I even like the idea, uh, since a lot of the adventurings uh, will be lower level, that one of the mm-hmm. rivals of the adventuring party in in Dragon Heights sends them down to yes. do with Artur with the right. hope that they would be killed. Like, I, exactly. I, I love that as well. Yeah. Uh, and if, you're, if you're looking for um, sort of a more details about the Dungeon of the Crypt and um, uh, the fireplace level, there, uh, it was Dungeon of the Crypt was fleshed out for third edition back in Dungeon Magazine issue 127, I think. <laughs> I believe uh, you. By Eric, Eric Boyd, um, who wrote a, a lot of the, the, the Forgotten Realms material for third edition. Sweet. So it wouldn't be that strenuous of an exercise to take to, to convert that for your game mm-hmm. if you want to do, or at least plunder it for ideas. Nice. Yeah, and maybe uh, more folks listening to this will then uh, take that and adapt it and put it up on yeah. the Dungeon Master's Guild uh, yeah. for for an encounter there because right. that'd be that'd be wonderful. Absolutely, for people to jump into. Yeah, great. Well, if people have more questions about uh, our tour and uh, uh, how to potentially use them in their their game. Come Halloween, it seems like a perfect addition if you wanted to yes. get some some yep. uh, some fun you know, Barovian character going on uh, in your Waterdeep campaign. How can I get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. I am at Greg Tito and uh, that is Laurie Cheneau. Thank you guys. We'll be back with a, another segment soon. Funniest lore you should know I've ever. I heard. had no idea it was going to be a oh comedy uh, lore you should know. There is so much humor in D and D. There is a lot, and in the there D and the D. is uh, uh, almost as much humor as I believe is going to happen in this interview uh, with Mr. Bob Salvatore. Babby, I'm so excited we get to talk to him. Me too. All right, let's call him up now. Okay. Into a uh, wonderful author by the name of R. A. Salvatore. Give me an R. <laughs> no, Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob. Give me an A. How's it going? Hey, Bobby. <laughs> oh, well, how are you doing? I thought it was Shelly Moo. This is Shelly Mazinoble. I know, right? Exactly. You're a Shelly Moo. To me. My professional name. Uh, but we are talking to the beloved uh, Bob. We, I got it. I, you've been on like at least three or four times uh, uh, here on the uh, Dragon Talk podcast. But we have a brand new book uh, out Beautiful already book. for you here called Timeless. Very yeah. excited Just about like that. Just like you, Bob. Timeless. You are timeless. Ageless. <laughs> Ageless. <laughs> so yeah, what's uh, what, what's this book all about? Tell us. Tell uh, everybody well, here. Don't ask me that. What's the elevator pitch? Yeah. What's this book all about? It's about a dark elf with two scimitars, and he's a ranger. I believe and, his name uh, is Drizzit. Is Dri- that correct? Drizzit. Drizzit Dutton. Drizzit Dutton. What's it about? All right. I'll give you the long answer because we're live. Okay. Uh, I had three things in mind. First of all, we all thought that the books were over, right? I mean, I did. I was told they were over. You were getting to an end point, uh, it felt like. And yeah, I did that on purpose because it was an end point. And I thought the books were done. And then when we found out they didn't necessarily have to be done and we found a way around it uh, with amazing, I got to call out Wizards here as, as this wouldn't have happened if Wizards... Harper Collins and me and I didn't want it to happen. And we did. So we worked hard for months and months and months, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's to try to try to find a way to get this done. So everybody's rights 
um, you know, legal situation and everything else would be protected for all of us. Right. And we could get it done so that it'd be mutually beneficial between all three parties. And it worked. And, and it worked. And, and Wizards was fantastic. And I got, I got to get that out there. It's all Liz. Liz yeah, Shu. So Let's give a shout out to Liz. Liz. Absolutely. Liz and Hillary Ross as well. force behind this. Yeah. Um, one of several. But Liz was absolutely a driving force behind this. And that made me very happy for two reasons. One, I get, get to keep writing characters I love. And two, it's because, you know, the people up at Wizards are family to me as much as they're coworkers. I mean, how long, Shelly, how long have we been friends? Years. <laughs> don't, don't tell everyone. You'll tell everyone how old we are. Right? Just a couple years. 75 years. I can't believe it, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> we are both ageless. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been working with some incarnation of Dungeons & Dragons people since 1987, so... It's kind of crazy. But so the three things I wanted to accomplish coming back to this. First of all, I've been talking about doing a book about Zach and Fane and Jarl Axel and how they met way back before Dritz was even born, way back in Menzo Barnes on. So I got to do that. I wanted to continue Hero because the ending of Hero was kind of shocking to a lot of people. And it really was left almost like the ending of The Sopranos, right? What, mm. well, what now? What does that mean? Is it real? So... I wanted, to, I wanted to be able to continue for Hero, and I also wanted to give a reintroduction to Menzel Burns on for first-time readers. And, and for people who had fallen behind on the Dritz books, because we had done a lot of Dritz books in a short amount of time. So when you, when you read this book, sections one and three go back to the Dark Elf City, way back in the past. Mm. And you're seeing the city through the eyes of different people. But I want that same feeling that people have when they read Homeland where you're seeing the city that's, that's wonderfully different and beautiful and dangerous all at once. So it was kind of fun for me to revisit, revisit the Dark Elf City like it was the first time for me. Mm. Yeah, that is really cool. I think a lot of people's uh, uh, you know, uh, thoughts about Drist were cemented during that Dark Elf trilogy, too, that, that, yeah. that brought that imagery to life. Oh, you definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So being able to bring that Mine back. More. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, it was, uh, uh, Jarl Axel, of course, many people know, uh, uh, as the, uh, how would you describe him? He's my walking deus ex machina. <laughs> no matter what the problem is, Jarl Axel has, Jarl Axel has an answer. It might not be the best answer for anyone around him, but it's always the best answer for himself. That's, that is so pretty did cool. Did you see Chris Perkins as Jarl Axel? No, I'm boycotting Chris Perkins and acquisitions. <gasps> What? It's a boycott. Is it because of PAX East uh, a couple of years ago? <laughs> yes, it's absolutely because of PAX East a couple of years ago. That was my Chris fault. Perkins is out of PAX East, and I get an email the day he's, Hi, Bob, I'm playing Dritz in about an hour here at PAX East, and he's 40 minutes from my house. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Chris, invite me, you jerk. Oh, <laughs> I could have had a great cameo. But he gave Guinevere the Pat Rothfuss, and I still have a... <sighs> it's not canon. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they gotta they gotta invite you on I'm and get. I am only kidding, but I have not seen this Jarl Axel, but I'm sure it's wonderful. It I'll, I'll catch up on it. I've been a little busy the last couple of weeks. Hmm. This is true. Uh, so so and Jarl Axel is also uh, one of the villains in uh, our latest adventure for uh, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, which is uh, not a villain. He well, he's understood hero, an antagonist. Would you give me that? Not even that. He's the protagonist. You're in his story. Yes. Always. Yeah, wow. that is true. That's true. Wow. Uh, 
But uh, so yeah, you know, obviously you want to read uh, uh, a timeless to get uh, any any clues uh, to his. Uh, you know, uh, origin, I guess you could say, because you go back in time to the original in the city? Oh, yeah. I'm, back, I'm way back in time. And Jal Axel's a kid, not a young kid, but he's a young, he's a young dark elf trying to make his way in a dangerous city by building this organization. It's fun. It was fun. I had a blast. It seems fun. Yeah. And Zach Nefane, uh, uh, you know, uh, not everybody knows about him. So, yeah, what can you tell us about him? Well, I, I think that. If I look back to who I was when I started writing the Dritz books and I look at who I am today after I've gone through this journey, not just the writing, but the journey of my life, I'm a different person. I think that's true of almost everybody. If it's not, then I think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you learn and you evolve as you go through life. And of course, we've seen like in the fantasy genre, for example, there's been an amazing change in the fantasy genre. When I started out, fantasy was the province of teenage boys, almost exclusively. And now, thankfully, it's not. I mean, I did a signing the other night up at Gibson's and half the audience were women. And the ages range. There were, there were more people over 40 or over 30 than under 25 would be my guess. And I don't think it was even close. Wow. And I think that's true of the conventions. That's true of, you know, the, the genre itself is that you have such a spread now of, of, of such a diversity in the audience. So Dritz has gone through this journey. I've gone through this journey. The audience has gone through this journey. But Zach Nefane hadn't. So anyone who thinks that it's smooth sailing, that Zach Nefane's going to walk in and he's going to be this Dritz clone, and they're going to have similar ideals and similar way of looking at the world and the other races around them, is going to have to see that that's probably not the truth. Mm. Because Zach Nefane's, you know, Archie Bunker compared to Dritz in his attitude toward people around him. It's an interesting way. Interesting comparison. Right. So is yeah. this a story that you had wanted to tell? Like you had like nuggets of it were like, you know, seeds in other stories of yours or did it just come up out of the blue? No, some of the points of Jarl Axel and Zach and Fame I think I've been thinking about off and on, like how they might have met, mm-hmm. you know, what prompted them to meet and how their relationship went and how, how instrumental Joe Axel was in Zach Nefane becoming, you know, the patron of host warden and the weapon master of host warden. I mean, um, I think those things were popping up and bubbling up here and there questions in my mind. What really surprised me about the book was who Zach Nefane really was, because I didn't expect that. I, I, I was another one of those people that, that when I had to actually look at what would it be like for this guy to show up after all these years, I was surprised by the answer, too. But I, I always am when I'm writing these characters. That's the joy of it for me. They, they answer questions for me. So that part of the book was completely the, the who these guys really are. And what their relationship really was is what I wanted to answer when I was writing the book. But you didn't know the answer when you started writing the book? Not at all. Really? Not at all. It just kind of comes up. Driss was a sidekick for Wolfgar. How many times do I have to say that? I know. I I remember. I had no idea that these characters were going to do it. And Adamus and Troy was supposed to die in Streams of Silver. Then again in Halfling's Gem. (laughs) You're like, you can't kill him. (laughs) He's unkillable. He's Bruce Willis. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steven Seagal. No, Steven Seagal. <laughs> when I'm writing the books, the books tell me what to write, and I just go with it. I have fun doing that, so why would I stop? It's, it's similar to, I mean, I think we mentioned this in previous interviews, but it is similar to the idea of like what a dungeon master is doing, uh, you know, in creating a, a game or a home world, right? Like, you don't really know what it's going to be like until the players uh, uh, interact with the story, except you have all the players in your head. Right. Yeah, the players in my books are better behaved than the players at my gaming table. <laughs> they eat less snacks. Are you the DM at, when you play? Sometimes. Sometimes. Now, I'm about to start a pirate campaign, which should be fun. Ooh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I love pirates. Yeah. Well, we might have something coming down uh, yeah. uh, the pipe for you in <laughs> that, in that regard. a story for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but only good. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, if it's converted for uh, OD&D, though, right? That's, that's still what you play? Do you, you play the? We do. It's okay. I play Demon Wars. Yeah, that's right, Demon Wars. Yeah, I played, we played Demon Wars Reformation, the game I kickstarted about four years ago, and um, we still play that. We we just have been, been enjoying it. We kind of sit in on it, and it's 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 a little different. What's the? How is it different? And it's cool. We can active totally talk about. It, no worries. Active defense. Oh. Uh, yeah, in, in Demon Wars, it's um, the characters synergize. I hate that word, but that's what they do. Where, like, if almost, you know, if you're playing a, a computer game, you have a tank and DPS and healer, and you have all the different roles that are very clearly defined. Demon Wars has that as well. So if I'm the, if I'm the defensive fighter, you want to stand by me if you're not. Because I'll protect you, mm. so you can do your thing. If you're not by me, you're going to be, you're going to have to use the same mana pool, the same balance pool, to defend yourself that you would use to give you more attacks or to give you better attacks. So you're going to be much less effective unless you're standing next to a character who can help you with that defensive part. So the game becomes a little more strategic and a little more position oriented mm. and um the other thing is that if you're a good player you'll really shine in in that game and if you're not you'll be dead well, well, i don't think i'd last that long but you, you could shine by failure <laughs> i'd go down spectacular yeah. like a like a supernova <laughs> a champagne supernova is this the same group that you've been playing with for a long time it's a little different uh, my son brian moved to the west coast so he's not playing anymore. rude but Gino's playing. Gino's been playing for about 20 years in the group. Now about 15. Um, one of the players joined in 1989. 1989. Uh, the other one that was part of that group just recently dropped out because his job got too crazy. Mm. And he just can't find the time anymore. And then the third guy who had been playing since then also moved to the West Coast and is now a a big shot over at Blizzard Entertainment. And um, two of the newer players in the group, my brother's nephew, uh, my brother's, my, my nephew, my brother's son, kind of replaced my brother when he passed away, and he's been playing for 20 years now with us, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And the two of the guys were guys I met at 38 Studios, actually. Oh. oh, no way. Yeah. That's a good group. Yep. It's a... A group that gets into some ruts and we have to force our way out of it. But when we do, we have a lot of fun. Sounds awesome. Uh, so, yeah. What, uh, 
I mean, Timeless is out uh, as of last week, uh, I believe, right? How how have you been? I mean, what was it like at the signing that you were at? Did people seem to enjoy it already? Yeah, yeah. It's the feedbacks. The anecdotal feedback I'm getting has been great. The uh, you know the the excitement levels seem to be pretty high. I've been it's it's been a pretty amazing week actually. Um, you know, we'll see how it all washes out in the end. But so far, so great as far as I can tell. Sweet. That's good. The, um, you know, I've been getting a lot of emails, a lot of PMs from people. Uh, you, you don't know how to gauge it. <laughs> Even after so many books, you really don't know how to gauge it. You just hope. Yeah. Put the word so out far, there. So good, as far as I can tell. Yeah, from our end, too. I keep seeing uh, uh, people excited, po- uh, poking up uh, on, on uh, all kinds of social media f- you know, feeds, just excited that, uh, that they get to be in these, these stories again. Yeah, I have 400 different Twitter handles, and I use them. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you've been so busy. You're activating yeah, your bot network? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any Some new... authors on Twitter amaze me. They write a book a day on Twitter. I know. They really do. How do you do that? I, I don't know. know. I'm still right. Don't know. They really like owls, too, a lot of them. I like owls. Yeah, I'm noticing that, yeah. <laughs> and burritos. I, I see like lots burritos. of cats. <laughs> I have a cat. You were going to ask, but you had something. Yeah. So are there any new characters in this book that we have not met yet? Yeah. Anyone bubbling up that you think, oh, this one's got a story to tell. Wait for the next book. Yeah. Yeah? Who? Oh, you want me to expand? Tell us about them. <laughs> uh, elucidate. Nope. Uh, Clearly uh, a yes no is really intriguing me. Which one, sorry? Uh, Evanel is the daughter of Gromp, hmm. Van Ray, who is really almost the reincarnation of... Matron Van Ray, mm. because in in utero, she was invaded by an illithid with the memories of Matron Van Ray. What? Yeah, it was, that can it's really creepy <laughs> stuff. But she's actually the character is 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 very intriguing to me. Wow! So she's moving forward, <clears throat> and um, there's a few others. Uh, I have so many old heroes still around and anti-heroes still around. It's hard to add too many mm-hmm. at a time because then I have a cast of thousands. And I think what this book's doing better than a lot of the books um, normally would because of the way I designed the book is it's giving a lot of playtime to the companions of the hall away from Dritz. Oh, So we're seeing, we're seeing them shine more on their own, which is where I want to go with things the other 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 characters yeah i want them to have <clears throat> bigger stories and play a bigger role in the books how does dritz feel about that um eh, he's okay <laughs> he has his moments. he doesn't he's like a lot of attention he's cool with it <laughs> he puts yeah, on his he, he, yeah okay we're gonna i'm not gonna keep talking about this i'm gonna spoil a lot if i do oh, yeah. <laughs> oh you're so close you had everybody in, in the right. chat i know i'm like if I turn my computer over here to my desktop, you'll see the scene I'm writing, and that would be really bad. Ooh, nice. <clears throat> How far into the next book are you? Uh, about 85% done. Really? Really. Jeez, Bob, you're, you don't stop. So Lots if of you... Well, I mean, it's coming out next year. I better get it done. It's got to get edited. Yeah. It's got to get, yeah, all through that process. Oh, yeah. Light touch editing. Is Bob that the... doesn't need a lot of editing. Have you, have you told anybody the plan that you were going to be coming out with another one so soon? 
No. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess I just did, right? <laughs> yeah, I, just, I was like, <laughs> breaking news. You're spoiling stuff for your uh, agent now, too. Yeah, my schedule right now is in January. I have the sequel of Child of a Mad God, Back in My Demon Wars World, coming out. Awesome. I don't have the title yet. We're, we're fighting over it still. But, oh. um, but I, that book has been done for a while. I love it. I mean, that, that world really surprised me. Some really unexpected things happened, and I always love that in books. And um, I'm working on the sequel now for Timeless, which will be out next year. And then I have to do the last book in the Coven series, which is Child of a Mad God, mm-hmm. and get that done. And then I have to get the last book in the Timeless series done. Jeez. So you're wow. writing like two books a year? Uh, a little less, but yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that for, I've been. I know. I don't know how you do this. Shelly's done two books total. In like ten years, <laughs> <laughs> I've got zero I'm, books. I'm catching you. I'm catching up. <laughs> no, you're actually falling way behind. Yeah. Way behind. Um, I look. I've I've been writing since I was 29, and I've got over 60 books out. So two oh books God. a year. That's a pretty good average. So would you say is Timeless a good place for someone to start? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. It's a good place for someone to start. It's a good place for someone to pick up again if they if they'd been out of the loop for a while. Yeah. And for people who've been wanting the Zach and Fane Jarl Axel story or to see what happened at the end of Hero, here it is. Okay. Yeah, I did it. I did that for, like I said, three different three different things I had to accomplish. Yeah. That's but yeah, absolutely. Feet. Start with time. Something for everybody. Hopefully. Seriously. So if you when you go into writing and you don't necessarily know the story, the characters, you don't know who's going to, or what the character stories are going to be. How do you know when the book is done? Um, hmm, that's actually a really good question. I usually know when it's time to stop and go and, and start thinking about where all of this will lead to the next book. Oh. And then I'll, I'll often have to, I get, I wake up in a panic about two thirds of the way through the book and realize what I need to do to end it on a good note. And by a good note, I mean a note that makes people want to read the next one. Mm-hmm. And so I have a general idea of where the story is going to wind up. It often surprises me. And sometimes that last month and a half, two months of writing can be pretty crazy to get there. Yeah. Do you have to cut a lot? Do you, are, are you the kind of writer that I overwrites? Know, a, I don't cut much at all. Wow. I really don't. So you're like you've got it down to it being just like lean, like this this stuff. I've I never, write. I've never cut much at all in my books. That's great. I know. That was always my downfall when I was, you know, puttering as being a writer was that I would, I would uh, get too I, much down and be like, oh, this just needs to all be cut. Yeah, but <laughs> see, I think that was, I think that had to do with me coming up through TSR when I did because the lead time on the books, I mean, I got my first contract on July 11th, 1987 and the book was due October 1st. And I was writing, I was working a full-time job with a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a pregnant wife. So I was business. And then I remember when they called about the legacy, for example, when I was in the middle of the Clara Quintet and they called me up and said, we got good news and bad news. It was Mary Kirchhoff. And she said, um, the good news is Walden Books wants a hardcover and they want it to be from you and they want a Dark Elf book. So you're going to have to put the cleric quintet down for a little bit. And the bad news is I need it in six weeks. So, you know, when you get put on deadlines like that, you learn to be efficient. 
And I think that I actually think that made a difference in, in my ability to get it done. Plus the other thing is I'm very aware of when the editing process becomes six of one and half a dozen of another. Mm. You know, when you start changing words for the sake of changing words and you're really still saying the same thing and it doesn't sound any better. And so I'm, I'm willing to let it go, you know, to just say, okay, this is ready, go. I think a lot of writers have a problem with that. They're afraid to let things go. Yeah, there is that you inner... You're going to be judged. That inner critic who is always, uh, at least for me, in my own experience, it was always like, oh, this isn't going to work, or I would spend too much time re-editing the same sentence I had just written as it is yeah, happening. it happens all the time to, to a lot of people I know. It, it, it does not happen to me as often, maybe not as often as it should sometimes, but... I, I don't I don't get hung up on things like that. Yeah, I, I have a story I want to tell, and I'm going to tell the story. And getting words out is probably better than uh, uh, f- hearing that inner critic and getting no words out. Right. Being a professional writer in this market means discipline. Yeah. And that means sh- shut up, sit down, and type. And you know, I don't know about the shut up part. I've never been good at that. But- <laughs> We did, yeah. Sit and type. Anybody who follows you on Twitter knows that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) in a good way. In a good way. I think you're saying. I I think you're saying the right things. Yep. I'm just glad we agree on things. That's true. Because you're afraid of me. Totally. (laughs) You're also like way more articulate, so I can just say, "Yeah, what he said." What Bob said. What Bob said. Yeah, what Bob said. What Bob said. Retweet. Did you see the tweets about Kofifi? <laughs> there was so, there was so many Fast and Furious that day. I did not I did not check yours that, out, but now I need to go back and look at them. That sounds like it could be a name of a character in a D and D book. It's it's a drow word. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a drow word meaning affliction, <laughs> and it refers to the reflection the the affliction of mirrors. It is canon. You look at yourself in mirrors a little too much. Oh my! I see. That's fun. I see what's going on. Do you ever take any like real world things and find, they do they ever find their way into your books? You ever I don't write horror. <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> yeah, of course, of course they do. I mean, it's I don't. I think every writer does, even when they say they don't. Tolkien will insist up and down until the day he died that you know the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings weren't analogous to the world around him and anybody that knows his history knows they were whether yeah. he wanted to admit it or not it's um, impossible to, to it's not be yeah that, right right i mean and look you're a writer for a reason and that's not to be preachy or anything but you're trying to write things that are relevant and there's a lot going on in the world all the time yeah so, of course, that stuff finds its way into my writing. It finds, I mean, do you think Dr. Seuss, what do you think he was thinking of when he wrote the Lorax, right? I mean, yeah, the real world is out there. It's, it's where you get your inspiration or your fears or your need to say something. So, of course, things creep into my books. Have you but read- I try not to be preachy about it in the books. That's what Twitter's for, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you read uh, Horton Hears a Who recently? Exactly. Because yes. it is very much what's going on in the world right now. Yes. Really? I have to read it again. Yeah. I, re- I read it just a couple days ago to, to my girls because they picked it off the shelf. for. I hadn't read it in a long time. And I was like, wow, this is pretty much, uh, 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 you know, different sides not hearing each other and not believing facts. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, how can you not have the world around you influence you? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a missed opportunity. If you don't. Especially this world. There's so much fodder. <laughs> exactly. It's so inspirational. <laughs> Is that the word? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was kind of chewing on that word when you said it. <laughs> not the word that would come to my mind right now, but again, we're back into the horror category. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, are you going to write a horror book next uh, after all of your deadlines that you went through? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, it's funny. I was at a convention a couple of years ago, and somebody said, "Okay, if you, you, it was about panel. The panel was about shared worlds and and working on somebody else's intellectual property." And they said. Um, you know, if you weren't working, they asked me, you know, if it wasn't going to be Forgotten Realms for you, what other one would you want to work on? And I said, the Americans. Oh. And they said, the Americans? Why the Americans? I said, because I just copied the daily stories from the New York Times and the Washington Post and just, you know, kind of verbatim put them in the, put them in the book. It's yeah. like law and order. There you go. Rips I'm done. the headlines. Easy peasy. Good way to tell a story. Is, there, is there any other... Genre you would be interested in in writing? Yes. What? I um. There's a couple of books I've had in mind for a a, a long time. Actually, one it would be a. I, I don't want to call it science fiction because there's nothing. I mean, it's fiction because I'm making up a story, but there's nothing about any technology that's not not already out there to accomplish this thing I would like to do in the book. Um, and it's more of a statement on common sense or reality versus superstition than anything else. Mm. Uh, I don't want to give too much away because somebody will steal it. Uh, but the, so the, yeah, there's a book. It would be, it would be contemporary, hmm. a contemporary novel okay. that's been sitting out there in my head for years and years, and it's still there. Uh, and other than that, uh, I don't know. I, I, at some point, I'm going to take about a year and just sit back and see if something really weird and wonderful and different and new comes to me wherever it takes me. Uh, That'd be I don't exciting. know. Yeah. There's no other genre I'd probably jump into unless it was Romance. It's, it's very related, but I would love to write. I, I wish it. I could write books like Bernard Cornwell. You know the uh, the real the kind of hist historical novels with a little bit of interpretation and fantasy. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, when when I, when you asked that question, I was like, I wonder if that was going to be something because I know you know a lot about uh, uh, history and and you know being able to jump into a period and write about it fictionalized is something that uh, seems similar to fantasy and might be in line with what it's you want. Kind of similar to shared world in a way. Yeah. Too, like well, I mean, my, my favorite show is Vikings, probably. Right oh, now. nice. Yeah. Although I don't like the new seasons as much as the original. The first couple seasons of Vikings, some of the best TV I've ever seen. The first season the was great. The show I loved was Rome. Yeah. The two seasons of Rome, which is wonderful. And Outlander. And, oh, yeah. you know, going back to the 18th century Scotland was pretty cool. So I, I like that stuff. And I, I'm a history buff. And I, I think is one of my, one of the things I tweet about and scream about is, we don't know history. People don't have perspective on history. And I think one of the problems that we're having in, in our society and, and in, in our books is that particularly, I think, younger people, 
and maybe it's the way they're being taught in school and I have all respect for millennials and Generation Z or whatever the heck they're calling them now. They've <laughs> changed names too many times for this old brain to process. But I don't think people understand context of the times like they used to. And maybe it's because everything's changing so fast and information is coming at us so fast. I don't think anyone my age grew up being able to process information nearly as quickly as the people who are under 30 today or even under 40 today process information. But I think that what's lost, been lost in the process is the understanding of the times. Mm. And it's real easy to stand on a high horse and point 30 years ago when somebody did something and like you're so far beyond that now, ignoring the evolutionary journey that got the society around you to the point where you can be like that now, if that makes sense. In other words, I was reading a great article about, I don't know, I don't remember who did it, but somebody did an article about, about the original sin of fantasy is racism mm. and about racism and sexism and fantasy and how the genre has grown up with it. And it, it's true. Guilty as charged from someone who was back in the 80s. Um, if you look at who I was in the 80s and you compare it to who I am now, you would see sexism. I, that was the world around me. Yeah. That was the world I grew up with. I grew up in a neighborhood that was incredibly racist. If you ever watched The Sopranos, right? Mm -hmm. That was my neighborhood. Not the mob stuff and all the, the shooting people in the street and stuff like that. But that was my neighborhood growing up. And it, you grow out of that. You grow beyond that if you're a person who is an inquiring person and wants to grow out of that. Right. But I, think that con I don't think people realize that there were riots in the city of Boston over busing in the 70s. You know, we're not talking ancient history here. Right. Right. You know, yeah. just like I, I try to explain to people that when I was in college, if you made over $250,000 a year, you were paying taxes at a 72% marginal income rate. This was the late 70s. This is an ancient history. Yeah, which is in line with like most industrialized countries as well. Uh, they don't want to go too so, far in the you know, realm of... I try to keep the context of history. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one thing that's not being taught enough. It's true. It's true. And it's one of those things that I think Dungeons and Dragons does a good job of training uh, uh, young minds to think about because it's very hard to explain uh, even just mechanics be like, oh, what is what is what is what does this class do? And then you're like, well, then you have to explain the magic system and then you have to explain right. the, the, the combat system. You have to know all, all of these systems interact and work together. Uh, not to mention all the lore that is, you know, the, the fake history that is involved with, uh, with D and D. Um, but like, yeah, you can't just start a conversation and be like, that's that. Like it all is connected tendril like into the entire game system. Uh, and, uh, you know, so when, when, when young kids get the, the one of, you know, these books in front of them, they're, uh, entranced and, and learn all these systems in a way because it's a game than they wouldn't if they had just been gotten given like a history book, right? Like you don't get the same excitement. Uh, or at least, you know, some don't. I, I would get excited by seeing a history book. But, you know, you, you don't get that uh, uh, the, the training on how to use different parts of your brain to uh, uh, judge on whether or not something is good or not. Absolutely the truth. And I remember a few years ago when I was, it was probably about 10 years ago now, 
I was talking to someone who was working up at Harvard and he wanted to do video games like a, an MMO based in the Civil War to try to teach people what it was like and what was actually going on there. Yeah. And that would be fantastic if they did things like that, because when you're excited about something, you'll learn. Right. You know, this is why what I found with Dungeons and Dragons in my own family, when I had a nephew who had a, a bit of a learning disability, he, he, he wasn't he was really smart, but he had a learning disability. So we got him into D&D and his grades soared because of math. You learn math, yep. you learn cooperation, you learn to read. And, you know, for years I would go to schools and I would talk about if you're teaching reading to kids with the, the first the first chore is to give them a book they like. Yeah, if, find if, the if, one they like. You get a book that, that connects with you. You will teach yourself to read. And the teacher's job then is just get the hell out of the way, right? right? Yeah, we uh, hear that a lot with teachers, librarians. They say like they they see the benefits of D and D in the classroom because for exactly what you're saying, they they read a story. They they they're playing a, a wizard. Then they become really interested in magic, and then they find books about magic, and then like that leads them down all these different wonderful rabbit holes. And that's something that I always remember. When I used to go to your signings, it was like my favorite times ever is watching you sign books for hundreds of people and yeah, you talked to every person. It. It's like every single person feels like they're the only person in the room with Bob. But I've we heard so many times from these, you know, twenty something men and they would say, You sparked my love of reading. I read, you know, the Crystal Shard or I read Homeland or something and and it was from then on, they've just read every single. They, they got into fantasy. They got into D and D. They became writers themselves. So yep. good job, Bob. I mean, you're, that's that, that, I think that's my, my one of the favorite, highest my, compliments a writer. My favorite can letter. My favorite letters begin. I never wrote a book until. Yeah. Because then I feel like I've done something. You have. Well. You know that makes that does that makes me feel very good about life. It yes. makes me feel like, you know, I'm leaving the world a little better in my wake. Because if I've if I've sparked someone's love of reading, even they don't read my books anymore. They've gone on and, but you and triggered it. been a lover of reading because of that or writing. Yeah. Then their lives are a little better than they would be without it. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I get so excited when I see a young person with a book. I just yeah. really love to see like someone just absorbed in a book. It's just like, good for you. Good for you. You're doing Hold the on right to thing. That. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on to it. That's one of the only things Quinn's excited about with kindergarten is learning how to read. Really? Yeah, that's nice. it. Like, that's it. That's one thing. But that's a good thing. That's, that's a good thing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he doesn't actually, like, get into the class, he's not going to learn that. So <laughs> we're going to have to work on the, the drop-off. Shelly is. Sure you don't know about me, Shelly? What? My entire year of kindergarten, my mother had to pretend she was hiding out back of the tree in front of the school or I would not make it. Really? You need to do that. No, he would come out. True. <laughs> no, you just let like, her. No, but your mom actually wasn't behind the tree. She had to tell you that you, she was when, so that you would believe it. I hated it. What you you hated it? What? Why did you hate it? I don't know. I was shy, and I was. It was overwhelming. Oh, okay. And I so maybe the same. Yeah. And it was boring. I found it incredibly boring. Yeah. So you just wanted to hang out with your mom behind the tree? <laughs> wow. That's a whole like, different story. We'll go and, and, and do fun no, stuff. No, I wanted to be home reading my Charlie Brown books. Yeah. Oh, so you had a love of reading, though, yeah. so that's good. Oh, I, I, I aced 
I was reading and writing by the time I got to kindergarten. I had five older sisters. I had six mothers. Are you kidding? Um, <laughs> so they were the they were learning you good. <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where I got the draw idea. Absolutely. Uh, no, I. I <laughs> I, I hated school. I missed 30, 40 days of school a year regularly. Wow. Even wow. past kindergarten? To the end of high school. Wow. Bad. Then I got to college and loved it. Oh, it's good. Did you ever, That's I mean, my future. I feel like we asked you this before, but did you ever get a chance to go back to some of your high school uh, uh, teachers and, oh, yeah, and, your and be English like, here's, teachers? here's my book. I signed it. <laughs> a few years ago, my second grade teacher called me up. Her name was Lucy Scaramucci. Whoa. Yeah. Nice Irish lady. Yeah. Um, she called me up <laughs> and wanted me to come to her house. And I went to see Lucy and Mike. And she just passed away. But, it, but I mean, what a, what a woman. She, in her class in the second grade, we would write books. And she would make this paste binding. So oh. you had like a real book. That oh, you that's so cool. Open up and and I wrote a bunch of Snoopy books. And oh, dinosaurs. you really loved Snoopy. And we got to her house and she took me up into her attic and she had every book that every kid from all of her classes had ever written. Aww. Oh, my God. Why, why didn't she, she give them to the kids? mine to give to Fitchburg State oh. University because they have my letters and yeah. everything. And it was just the sweetest thing. And she said to me, I can't believe someone from our side of the tracks made it. Oh. To the kind of Italian ghetto in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Yeah. And I was like, what tracks? You know, I didn't know anything about that. That was what she and my father had gone through, not what I had gone through. But it was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was that pretty cool. cool. So, and, then, and then I have, I, I've gone back to Fitchburg State. Every 10 years, I wind up back at Fitchburg State College for a reason. It's a Fitchburg State University now, but I, I graduated in 81. I got my second degree in 91. I was the distinguished alumni in 2001, and I gave the commencement speech in 2011. So That's I just huge. keep going. <laughs> Every 10 years. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So any more uh, uh, kind of p- passing or, or last notes about Timeless and why, why people want to get into it and, and uh, th- you know, think like any Easter eggs or things you're excited for people to, to kind of find out? Yeah, um, but other than that, what I really want to say about the book is like with every Dark Elf book, one thing I really try to do with the Dark Elf books is I want you, when you read the Dark Elf book, to feel the way you read, you felt when you read the first one. Mm. Because for a lot of people now who've been with me for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years on this journey, it's a really nice thing to be able to just feel like that kid playing D&D in high school again when you've got you know so many responsibilities in the real world closing in. So one of the things I really try to do with the Dark Elf books is I, I try to leave them as a kind of a portal back in time for people. That I want you to feel that, get that adrenaline rush of the battle scene coming up and, and feel like you've got, you're on the road, the, 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 the adventure gaming with old friends again. Um, when you read the Dark Elf books, that's what, I, that's what I aim for. That's what I've been trying to do with every book I've written in that series. Nice. My primary goal. Make people feel like they felt when they were playing D&D with their friends. <laughs> and it works. It totally works. Yeah. Uh, reading through it, it does. It feels like you're, you know, you're not, not just going back to old characters that you, you loved back then, but like, yeah, that you, you, your style is, is consistent and it, it brings everybody back to that 
you know, visceral feeling of what it's like it's to adventure. Folks, it absolutely is. And it's, 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 it's 100% on purpose. I, I, I try to stick with the same language. Yeah. I try to stick with the same sentence structure, the same, the same, even the books, breaking them up into parts with the essays at the beginning of each part. I try to stick with the same structure throughout the, throughout the adventures. And, the, and I do it on purpose with those. I don't, I mean, I don't do the same thing with my, you know, even particularly things like sentence structure when I do demon wars or themes when I do those, but with the Dritz books, that's what I aim for. Yeah, and people sense. like it and they, they still read it. And it, like I said, as long as I have fun doing it, as long as people have fun reading it, why the hell, why did I do it? So I do. For sure. Good. Yeah. It's and one no of those. Wizard, let me do it again. So I am. <laughs> And it's one of those, uh, I mean, I didn't even really think about it until you just articulated it, but like, that's like a thing that, uh, writers, uh, consider, right? Like, like filmmakers have, you know, the same music themes and things that, you know, feel similar, you know, which can call back a nostalgia. And you're just talking about doing that with the same sentence structure and the, and the, and the format and the, and the essays and stuff. You're right. Like, right. That people feel, uh, you know, safe when they, when they read it that way, they feel like, oh, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and. To me, at this point in time with the characters, that is one of the most appealing things to continue. Mm. Because now, especially with the, the other characters where I can spin off and go on new adventures, mm-hmm. if I can still maintain that feeling, that, that, that sensation, you know, that pizza night with the friends, walking down the road of adventure, then the, the buddy fantasy feeling yeah, that I'm yeah. doing what I want to do. That's, it, it's very comforting for it's like writing a new season for a television show more than writing a new novel, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Awesome. Well, I can't wait uh, uh, to crap it open, crack it open and read it myself. Uh, I think a lot of people are doing that right now. And uh, thank As you, speak. Uh, Bob, for, for continuing writing this story. And we're looking forward to the, to the next 220 of them that you're going to do. <laughs> and talking to you. I was just going to say Once two, but I mean, who knows if it, it, it'll be two going oh, yeah. forward. Yeah, who knows? Um, Maybe three. Well, well I'll have to get up there and see you folks so I can get inspired to do the next one. How's that's that? right. Oh, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Anytime you're here in Seattle. The real world would get out of my way. I'd be up there more. Nice. And thank you. It looks like it's getting dark uh, where no. you are. We saw the You've sun. you got like one side of your face from... illuminated. No, you know what happened is my computer went on screensaver. See? Oh, there it is. No, but even the room, the room <laughs> yeah, itself the room got, got, dark. got darker in, uh, on the East Coast there. It feels like we, we, we talked to you uh, over sundown. We so talked to you all night. All night oh long. God, it's like three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. No, I just looked at the time because you had me almost convinced. <laughs> <laughs> we talked all night long. All night. Well, thanks a lot, Bob, for calling in and yeah. uh, looking forward to chatting more. Uh, uh, you know, when 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 books two three uh, come out from this uh, from this thing. Yep. Well, you can call me in for a Demon Wars talk. Yeah, let's do it. I actually have one. I want to play. I want uh, I want you to teach me. And we'll be on the same coast then. No, yeah. I mean when the Child of a Mad God sequel comes out in January, I'll be out in California. So nice. Oh, perfect. Yeah, let's do it. Face to face. That'd be perfect. To face. Face to face to face. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Bob. Good we'll luck, see you Bob. Later. Thank you. All right, thanks, you guys. We uh, love uh, uh, talking to Mr. Bob, Bob Salvatore. It's been a long time. He's a friend of the show. Exactly. He is definitely a friend of the yeah. show. It's been uh, too long, and it was good to catch up and go through all the fun stuff that he is doing for uh, yep. the Timeless book. I really So glad it. to see that these books are continuing. Yeah. 
people it means yeah. a lot to uh, so many fans out there yeah. right and they yeah. get to just I, and, and I love that even through the course of the interview you find out about uh, his um, uh, using language and stuff again so it feels familiar to people that's really cool yep I, don't, I never thought about that as a writer but that makes sense I know yeah well maybe after you write 60 books then it, you'll just do those things. What am I going to start writing 60 books? You better start. <laughs> it's, I got a lot like to you do. You have to go home tonight and write at least 13 I know. Of them. These people have, they have like offices or things where they do things like that. I need Things where they do things. I know. I know. And Bob was saying that he had a full-time job and two kids and a pregnant wife and he still managed to write a book in six weeks. How did that happen? I don't know. I couldn't do anything when I had a pregnant wife. <laughs> no. I could literally not, not allowed move. to do anything. <laughs> exactly. Uh... <laughs> So uh, yeah, I, more power uh, to him. It was a, it was a great jump into it when you have that deadline yep. and have it doing it. Maybe if someone was basically con- telling me like, "Oh, you have six weeks to write a book," that's all I need. I need Maybe. an outside story. So can you can you do that for me? Are you deadline? Can you be oriented? like? I'm very deadline. Let's do it. Yeah, six weeks. Six weeks from now. now. Write your book. I mean, I guess no, that's what write like your book. NaNoWriMo is all about. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, November is coming. November is coming. Maybe start I'll do it then. It. All right. I'm just going to start writing it early. Yeah. Get, Head start. Get you cheated. You cheated at Outline October. Uh, <laughs> but it was fantastic. And uh, we got to have Bob on again very soon to talk sure. more about he is a uh, friend of the show. his fun characters. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to chat about before we bust out of here? Well, I don't remember. Did we? If we've what we talked about, we have not mentioned any intro. of uh, your fun games that you got Dungeon going on. Dungeon Mayhem. Dungeon Mayhem. Dungeon D&D card game. Super fun. Yeah. What about uh, uh, Betrayal Legacy? Betrayal Legacy is coming in November. There's like back to back. There's a lot of releases. Access and Allies and Zombies at the end of October. And then you get Betrayal Legacy November 9th. And then Dungeon Mayhem on November 16th. That's so and then cool. somewhere in between there, there's more D&D books. There's tons of D&D books. Yeah. So there is uh, Dungeon the Mad Mage, uh, which you'll be able to find in game stores on uh, November 2nd, I believe. Um, and then uh, after that, Ravnica, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica oh, is coming, yeah. which I know a lot of fans out there are interested uh, to jump into because it's got so much to do with the lore of uh, that plane in uh, Magic the Gathering, which is probably one of my favorite like worlds out there. It's like this long, never-ending city uh, with all of these uh, guilds that hold the political power yeah, there. Cool. And uh, yeah, with Ra- Guildmaster's Guide to uh, Ravnica coming out on November 9th in game stores, you'll be able to play as one of those guild members going off on adventures maybe with some other guild members and things like that. So it'll be, it'll be tons of fun. And that's uh, everywhere on November 20th. Uh, and there's lots of other dice sets and uh, r- uh, maps and miscellany also coming out on November 20th. Uh, and especially <laughs> magic fans might love that the Ravnica dice set has a guild die, which has uh, 10 faces on it and it has a symbol for each one of the 10 major guilds of the plane on it, which I think is super cool, right? Very cool. Excellent. Well, go check all that stuff out. Follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter. I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter. Follow uh, Wizards underscore DND on Twitter. Uh, like our Facebook page. And if you need to find out anything, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com or download Dragon Plus. Get it on your phones and make it happen. Make it happen. All right. I think we're done here. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, oh the rocks. Oh, oh we're done.